This is a UC Public Policy Channel program from the Goldman School of Public Policy at UC Berkeley. Visit us at www.uctv.tv/public-policy for more discussion on solutions for the good of all. Hi, this is Henry Brady, the Dean of the Goldman School of Public Policy. We're in the living room to have a discussion about local government with Annie Campbell Washington, who is the member of the city council in Oakland for District 4. She's served as the chief of staff for two mayors of Oakland, Jean Kwan and Jerry Brown. Uh, she's a graduate of the Goldman School of Public Policy, and she's an expert on bringing public policy ideas and approaches into city government. In fact, the Oakland Tribune said that she's crafted a reputation as a policy expert who has worked in the trenches of local government, building strong relationships with diverse political players across Oakland. What's interesting about that is that statement says you're not just a policy wonk, you're also a politician. And so a lot of what I want to discuss with you is how do you bring policy wonkery, uh, which we teach here, and we also like to think we teach something about politics, uh, to really making things happen in, in local government. But let's start with the question of what are the challenges facing local governments in general or specifically Oakland these days? I think the, the challenges facing Oakland are very similar to the challenges facing every large urban area in, mm-hmm. in America today. We have challenges around policing, how we deliver policing, and public safety in general. We have challenges around financing all the things that we need to do in the city for our residents. And uh, those include repaving our streets, uh, taking care of our parks, mm-hmm. making sure that we are um, uh, have the resources to live to deliver quality education, um, even though that's not the responsibility of the city of Oakland. We absolutely must be a partner with our, our like local most cities. Students. The schooling is taken care of by an independent school district. That's exactly right, and that happens in a lot of cities. That's exactly right. But even though that's the case in Oakland, we absolutely must be strong partners and making mm-hmm. sure that. As, as much as we can, making sure that our city resources are shared with the school district in a way that really benefits our young people. So with all those problems, and in fact, for the police, you've been under court orders for more than a Over decade. a decade. Yeah, right. so that's led to special problems. And then there's been incidents in Oakland, uh, well-publicized ones, which involve the police, which have been very complex and difficult and aroused a lot of unhappiness on the part of, of various groups. So, uh, so there's really big ongoing problems. How do you go from being a chief of staff and a budget analyst before that, which is exactly the kind of things that public policy school trains you to do, uh, to becoming a politician? And how did you make that leap? What was the moment at which you said, I can do this? Well, that's interesting that you told a bit about my history, because I do think that I was on a path that I didn't necessarily realize I was on, but definitely carved by the Goldman School. So I started at the city of Oakland, as you mentioned, as a budget analyst, which really allowed me to use the quantitative skills that I gained here at the Goldman School of Public Policy to apply to very real-world policy issues at the city government level, which I just fell in love with. I had no idea that I was going to love local government the way that I do. Um, But I got there and through um, the budget office had an opportunity to really dig deep inside each department of the city to understand the services that they were trying to deliver Mm -hmm. and how best to do that, how to be most effective with with our taxpayers' dollars. So that was so clearly a skill that I gained here at the Goldman School and then allowed so me So step to- one, you really felt like you understood what Oakland did 
That's and right. what might be done to make it better. So that's step Absolutely. one. Absolutely, exactly. And um, understand how to stretch those public dollars in a way that, that could be effective. And uh, through doing that work, uh, I um, had the opportunity to work very closely with an assistant city, uh, city manager at the time who was in charge of the finance department and all the internal departments in the city. And she invited me to come work for her directly in the city manager's office. And that's where my career really started to bridge policy and politics, because in that role, I had the opportunity to work more directly with then Mayor Jerry Brown, which then, as you know, turned into me being asked to be the chief of staff in the mayor's office. Now, that was my first opportunity to work in a politician's office. And uh, I got to ask you, what's (laughs) it like working for Jerry Brown? (laughs) Well, I often describe him as being uh, literally the most intelligent person I've ever had a chance to work with. Um, No offense. (laughs) But he really is a very unique individual because he has the ability to pick up the phone and call any expert in the country and beyond our borders to uh, ask about any particular policy issue. And he is interested in that way. So he very much has this way of being a critical thinker Mm -hmm. and gets uh, opposing points of view on every issue so that he's really sure that he's choosing a path not just based on what um, individuals in his own party might be telling him, but what really experts on the issue, regardless of their political affiliation, are saying that he should do. So I learned from him Mm -hmm. um, about that, um, being a politician, but really um, being more committed to... uh, the intellectual curiosity of trying to determine what the right path is. Okay, so you now learn some, the political actors and what the landscape looks like, but still there's a big leap to saying, I can be a politician, and it must be a little scary to do that. Absolutely. I really, um, for many years, never had the intention of being a politician, and in fact, left uh, the mayor left Mayor Brown's office to go back to the city manager's office because I decided I liked the implementation side better than Mm -hmm. the the policy side. But um, what happened was, um, I guess I was chief of staff to the fire chief at the time that Mayor Jean Kwan came into office. And soon after she arrived in office, uh, Occupy Oakland occurred in Mm -hmm. in Oakland. And uh, she made a decision about the encampment that was in front of City Hall to move it out. And it got... Uh, bungled, and everyone in Oakland was very angry. Regardless of what uh, side of uh, the issue they were on, everyone was angry. And that's when she asked me to join her office as chief of staff. Many years have passed at this point. I became chief of staff to Mayor Jean Kwan. Was that part of the problem with that episode, that she didn't have good chief of staff or good people coordinating the effort? Well... Uh, I think there are a lot of factors that went into that the decision-making process and what happened. I think it was a series of mistakes that were made. The, the decision to allow the encampment to settle there at the very beginning the was, was a mistake. Um, and then the way it was removed was a mistake. Um, because the um, police department decided to... Uh, create a very hard line that, that, that folks could not move back onto City Hall Plaza. And then, as you know, um, it resulted in, in violence and someone getting shot with a beanbag. And, and so the whole thing escalated in a way mm-hmm. that was terrible. Um, and so 
you know, very conservative folks were angry that the encampment was ever there, and very um, uh, progressive folks were obviously, and everyone else was angry mm -hmm. of the way that it was removed. And so it just, it completely was bungled. A lost, loss. <laughs> loss, loss. Okay, exactly. so you see this, and so even that episode didn't cause you to say, well, politics is not what I want to get into. You, in fact, did it spur you on? Well, it did. It, it, it encouraged me to, to join our office as chief of staff because I felt like I had the skills and abilities from my history of working in the city of Oakland to come in and try to fix things. And my love for Oakland was really what um, helped me decide to come into her office to be chief of staff at that time because I felt like I had the, the policy background, the experience of working in the mayor's office prior, um, the very long history of working in Oakland that I could actually help get her back on her feet, which is what I felt like I did. And then, to answer your question, <laughs> to answer your question, um, a school board seat opened up. Mm -hmm. And it was, just a, it was just a year and a half left of a four-year term because the, the school board member for District 4 became the interim superintendent. And so there was a year and a half left on that term, mm -hmm. and the school board decided to run almost an application process or to appoint someone. 12 applicants I read, yes. Yes, exactly. And so I had long thought of um, running for school board because I have a passion for education, and because it was an application process, an appointment process, it was like applying for a job. So it really was sort of that first step into um, an elected role where I didn't have to run for office, uh, mm -hmm. which was very helpful because it is a huge leap to decide to run for office. Right. But then once I was in the seat, uh, I felt I would either run for school board or city council, and then that city council seat opened up, so I decided to run for city council. That campaign was that difficult experience? Did you learn things that you had never imagined you would learn? Did you feel pummeled by the experience or was it enjoyable? I loved it, but it was like running a marathon. It's mm -hmm. physically exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. You're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone every day because you're forced to speak about yourself, which you're not, mm -hmm. you're not used to doing. You have to raise money um, and, and talk about why you will be a good candidate, why you'll be a good mm -hmm. person in the seat. Um, so it's incredibly challenging in so many different ways. But what I loved about it was when we got to the point of actually knocking on doors and talking to residents of District 4, I absolutely loved it because it allowed me to just speak about what I knew that was going on in city government, what was going on in larger Oakland, and how I felt like I could be part of the solution and how I could help them um, in my role as city council member. So as a city council member, though, you're one of a bunch of people. That's right. One of eight. One of eight. And so you have to somehow build coalitions or do things right. to make things happen. Tell us what that's like. Yes, yeah, so absolutely. You, you really must go into an issue um, strategically thinking that you can get five votes in mm -hmm. order to move something forward. So it is something where you absolutely must be forging relationships with your colleagues on the city council and um, uh, working on things that are very important to your residents of your district, but also are important to residents uh, in other districts and across the city. Um, so, uh, for example, one of the things that I worked on that I, I'm very proud of is the soda tax in Oakland. Mm -hmm. I really felt like it allowed me to craft a piece of legislation. It allowed me to put something on the ballot. I worked with my colleagues to, to, to make that happen and then had the opportunity to run the political campaign in Oakland to get the residents so of Oakland So this is behind. a soda tax, like many others, presumably that's meant to try to discourage 
Absolutely. people drinking sodas because the feeling is it's bad for people's health. Absolutely. Uh, but that leads a lot of people to say, well, we have autonomy and the, the right to do whatever we want to to our bodies. And so how come you come along and tell us I can't drink soda? That's right. What we talked about in this campaign, and it's a one cent per ounce uh, tax on distributors. So it's really an attempt to tax the companies as close as closely as we can, not the residents. But talk about how this product um, really has been marketed to low-income communities, black and brown populations throughout our, our country and has serious detrimental effects on, on um, the health of um, black and brown communities. And uh, did the minority communities in Oakland sign on? Were they? They absolutely did. They did. They absolutely did. Even though the industry came in and spent millions in Oakland uh, to try to defeat the tax, uh, it ended up overwhelmingly passed. So you get a piece of legislation passed, but now you're also involved in a whole lot of other things going on. There's housing issues, and especially right. with respect to the homeless. Uh, there's the roads and transportation systems. Uh, say a little bit about those kinds of issues and how you're dealing with them. Yes. As far as the infrastructure is concerned, we, we uh, also passed a ballot measure last November um, to provide uh, a parcel tax on infrastructure as well, because it really is something that over the course of the past um, two decades, I would say, in Oakland, we just have not funded infrastructure at the level that mm-hmm. we needed to. And we continue to receive cutbacks from the federal government and state uh, government, so we don't have enough funding for our roads. So the streets in Oakland really are some of the worst that you'll see um, in the state, in the, in the mm-hmm. country. And so we did pass a parcel tax to um, allow us to repave our streets in Oakland, because that we heard over and over again from residents that, that was one of the most important things. I read at one point that they were Oakland was only spending enough money to be able to repave streets once every 85 years. That's exactly right. And I don't know what the norm is, but it's got to be more like 20 years or That's something exactly like that. That's exactly right. Absolutely. And so uh, what that funding allows us to do, for example, is we had a five-year street repaving plan that we will get all completed this first year of the, of the parcel tax as those dollars roll in. So uh, it is significant significant um, increase in funding that will make a huge difference to our residents. Um, the number one issue in Oakland right now is what you mentioned. It's housing. It's the cost of housing mm-hmm. across the board. And it's um, a homelessness crisis that we're feeling not just in Oakland, but in every city in California. I recently attended a conference for the League of California Cities, and they, they had three sessions on homelessness. All of them were standing room only because it really is an issue that every city in California is facing. One answer to the housing problem, some people say, is that we just have too much regulation and it's too complicated to get anything built. Are there things that Oakland's doing to try to make that easier? We are. Um, I would say, though, to start off, um, that we are building housing more rapidly now in Oakland than we ever have. Even during um, Mayor Brown's term, where he, you know, one of his major uh, platform points was to build 10,000 units, mm-hmm. we're building four times that right now in Oakland um, th- throughout the course of, of this mayor, Mayor Schaff. So we are rapidly building housing, um, but we know that we can do better. There are changes that we're making in our planning and building departments mm-hmm. to make sure that we get those permits through faster, that we approve large projects faster so that we can um, build that housing at a more rapid pace. 
What do you think some of the major problems with regulation are? So some people would say the CEQA process is often a big problem. Yes. And that's the a review for environmental impact that has to be done in the state of California. That's right. And it sometimes can take a very long period of time. Well, and sometimes it's used by activists to completely shut down projects. For example, in my district, I have a, a vacant lot that has been vacant the entire time I've been a city council member. And a project for senior housing was proposed uh, that a neighbor didn't like. And they, uh, she brought a lawsuit against it saying that seniors shouldn't live next to a freeway and was able to block that project completely because it got stuck in the courts and the property owner just didn't have the, the money to fight that lawsuit. So it really can be used to stop are development changes, entirely. Are there changes that should be made to CEQA? Should it be harder to file lawsuits like that? I really do believe that we need some assistance around this to make sure that you can't just bring a frivolous lawsuit and shut down development mm-hmm. completely. But we also do, um, it's a balance, right? We mm-hmm. have to make sure that uh, we have local control, that we have the ability to, to um, determine what our, our cities look like and how development looks, but at the same time, um, we need assistance from frivolous lawsuits. So let's go to homelessness. So the city, I think, is considering an outdoor encampment that the city would run. Yes. So instead of having things just pop up because people go to places and start a homeless encampment, there would be one run by the city. Is that making any headway, and is that a good idea? Yes. So we actually already have one that is established, and um, it's tough sheds are being used to house homeless residents. So we have one lot so far that has been developed in that manner where some private developers actually helped us um, get the tough sheds on the on the site. And a tough shed is just a... It's exactly what you would think. Okay, it, a, it really a is a shed, and it's not okay. built for, for living circumstances, okay. but we're altering them a bit to make okay. them uh, a bit more habitable. And it's definitely not something that uh, I want to, to recommend and say that we should should be having people live in, but it's certainly better than someone living on the street in a tent, which is what we're seeing all pop up all over Oakland right now. So it really is a short term. It's meant to be no more than 90 days um, as we look to find permanent uh, supportive housing for those individuals that they have a place to stay that is safer. But is there going to be permanent supportive housing? Because it's hard to build it, first of all. It's hard to get the money to support it. And is it even the case that all homeless want that as their ultimate outcome? I think that we have to work on each level at the same Mm -hmm. time. So, for example, we have a building called the Henry in Oakland that is Mm -hmm. permanent supportive housing. We are right now in contract to purchase another building to double the number of units that we um, currently have in permanent supportive Mm -hmm. housing in Oakland. So we're working on that at the same time that we have these lots um, popping up that we are trying to um, locate tough sheds to try to move the encampments that have grown in Oakland and are very unsafe and really a public health hazard for the, the residents of the encampment as well as the residents that live around the encampments. We're trying to move them into these tough shed locations. We also have a group of 10 churches that have come together to talk about safe parking on their parking lots mm-hmm. of their churches and building tiny homes on their So safe their parking lots. would mean you could park your vehicle and sleep in it? Is that's that what right. that's really meaning? That's exactly right. So I say all these things to say there are short-term solutions, medium-term solutions, and long-term solutions that we're trying to work on all at the same time 
because we are in a crisis. We cannot wait for um, permanent supportive housing to be built for each individual who wants to live in those circumstances. And to be honest, most of most of the the homeless residents in Oakland, I do believe, want somewhere to live. Obviously, there are, you will find a case where someone has um, mental health issues and they are not able to find themselves living in a in a, uh, a housing unit, but. For the most part, and we certainly have uh, plenty of people who are uh, find themselves homeless right now who want to live in housing, that we absolutely must work on those on those situations. Uh, one really interesting um, piece of data in Oakland is that um, the majority of our homeless residents are from Oakland. They've lived in mm. Oakland for a very long wow. time and are homeless in the same neighborhood where they were living. Wow. Yeah, it's shocking. Very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So being a policy analyst, how has that helped you now in your role as a city council member? I think what the Goldman School gave to me uh, as skills um, and training is uh, an ability to read data, to feel comfortable reading data, to feel comfortable reading the law and interpreting the law, um, to work with experts in those fields and be able to sit in meetings and challenge them and ask them questions and do that in a way where um, I feel comfortable, that I don't feel like someone's pulling the wool over my eyes or that is presenting me with data that I don't feel comfortable analyzing myself, which then allows my staff to do the same thing because they're learning from me and able to challenge uh, folks in the same way and um, and just provide people with the knowledge that that's how I want to make policy, that I want to make policy that I'm able to interpret and decide is actually going to help our residents. So now the Oakland Tribune certainly seems to think that your policy training is important and worthwhile. Do you think your fellow council members do? Do they see that as a valuable feature of who and what you are, or do they not care that much? I would say that what is just as meaningful as that training is is the way it's um, the way I use it, and the mm-hmm. fact that it comes from a deep care of our residents and and the work that we're doing. And I'm very serious about mm-hmm. doing quality work, and that I've established uh, a rapport with um, not just the residents but the staff members and uh, throughout the city of mm-hmm. Oakland, established strong relationships, and that. I'm willing to put in that hard work to make sure that we get to good solutions. So are you saying that the danger of being a policy wonk is you could be seen as a know-it-all? I mean, is that something you've worried about, that you want to be careful not to be sort of the person who claims to know it all? I think that... um there, you will. You run into those folks all the time, no matter where you work. You you run into folks who need to be the smartest person in the room, mm-hmm. and I think that that's never how I want to portray myself. Myself, and that's not how I think of myself. Mm-hmm. I think that that training is very valuable to me. But I want people to know that what is most important to me is that I'm able to connect with individuals and really hear, hear mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. stories, feel yeah. their pain, and work on solutions that are trying to get at the root causes of, of whatever it is that we're working on. So the personal skills are really important in Absolutely. terms of making sure that the policy analysis does not become just some sort of uh, um, fortress you keep yourself in and, and use right. that as a way to try to describe what you want to do and instead exactly. getting out there and making sure that you link up with people. One of the issues that a lot of cities have are pension plans. Yes. Uh, does that bedevil uh, Oakland as well? I, I, Absolutely. I no, it does actually. Absolutely. It, it has been an incredible challenge to provide a balanced budget for the entire 
I guess it's probably 18 years that I've been in the city of Oakland now, it has been one of our most difficult challenges to keep a balanced budget as um, our costs of our employees just have been skyrocketing. The pension plans, mm-hmm. the health care that we need to provide, um, it is incredibly challenging and we keep having to perform, uh, you know, try to perform the same level of service with fewer and fewer resources. And it's incredibly challenging across the board. And it's very hard for for residents to understand that aren't working in level local government um, to try to understand the the dollars that we're working with now um, compared to what we used to be working with. So is that a battle that Oakland's winning or is it sort of just staving off disaster or where is it right now? Uh, I, I, feel like we are making headway. Um, I have to say that we have a, a Goldman School grad who is also the city administrator in the city of Oakland right mm-hmm. now, and um, she is just an incredible um, financial wizard and I really think has has navigated the, the waters um, over the past um, three years in, in a way that is commendable because we I do feel like we are actually making headway and we are paying down our negative funds that we've been carrying uh, for over two decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are making headway, but I wouldn't say that we're out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. So now, and I'm, I'm very pleased to say this, you've come aboard as the executive director and assistant dean for our uh, Masters of Public Affairs program, yes. which is a mid-career program, one-year program, where we're trying to help people who have decided they really want to do the kinds of things you do for the rest of their career. What do you think are the most essential pieces of that program that you want to make sure that are sustained and enlarged to make sure that we just do it right? Well, I am thrilled to be uh, running the MPA program because what I see are these incredibly talented mid-career professionals Mm -hmm. coming in and they have decided that they either need to add policy analysis to their long career, their long successful career um, to to make a pivot into um, a a different career or they want to add it to to become more valuable in their Mm -hmm. workplace. So so um, what I'm excited about is the fact that in the summertime, we almost run a boot camp of sorts for, for six weeks plus three weeks to give all of the, the um, real quantitative knowledge that we want a leader in the public sphere to have. Um, it allows that cohort to bond also. So they have this huge network now of a cohort of, of 40 students that they now have policy experts in all these different fields. Um, and and then in their fall and spring semesters, really have a chance to, to personalize their education and, and t- t- uh, take it in the direction that they want to go. So I, I feel like it's the best of all worlds. You're bringing these talented individuals together, forming a bond, for, forming a cohort, and then giving them the tools that they need to succeed um, at, at a very high level. And what are those things they need to succeed that's different from the Masters of Public Policy. You were in the Masters of Public Policy program, which typically is a program for people three to five years out of college. And we do a lot of analysis that we teach them quantitative methods and economics and so forth. But probably people in mid-career need somewhat different things. What That's right. do they need most of all? I think what we're doing is layering it with, with leadership. We're layering it with um, instructors and professors that understand that uh, these are students coming in with 10 years of, exper- of work experience mm-hmm. and allowing the, the classroom to um, have a, a, a level of discussion um, about world affairs and uh, our national state of uh, politics here in our country mm-hmm. that allow them to really share knowledge um, 
in a way that they can lead organizations and they're ready to step into that um, sphere of leadership where they're prepared to um, to hire the right staff, to um, uh, form an organization and understand what those challenges mm-hmm. will be. So they're really ready for that next step. You know, one of the things I've always thought is very important in a career is courage. Because again and again, you face situations where you could say, well, I could risk things and try that. But boy, that's pretty scary. And maybe I should just stick with what I'm doing. You've clearly risked things as you go along. How do you communicate and, and to students and help them get the courage they need in order to make those kinds of steps that will propel them forward? I mean, I really do feel like you have to tap into um, uh, someone's passion and their mm-hmm. heart and, and really help them uh, dig deep to find out what is the, that really important thing mm-hmm. that they want to do in this lifetime, because that's what it's really about, is how do you want to change the world? And I'm so happy to say that um, the students who are applying to the MPA program that are currently here as students, they are folks who really want to change the world and make a difference. And I think that's what we tap into, is is taking that flame um, and giving them the tools to, to apply it the, the way they want and to apply it. maybe the confidence, too. That, Absolutely. That because they're around other smart people and then they they see what the possibilities are and a dean such as yourself who exemplifies what we hope they become and what we hope they're going to do. Thank you. So I've been here with Annie Campbell Washington who's a city council member in Oakland and I'm happy to say the assistant dean for our Masters of Public Affairs program and we've been talking about city politics. Thank you so much. Thanks.